Okay. So for now, we're going to have another talk within our Beyond the Plans environment and uh, within the range of topics we are covering. So usually we are covering things that have some relation to ceremonial life and uh, either happening before we jump into the ceremony while we are working with our intentions or happen within the ceremonial experience itself or whatever is important for post-processing for integration. Admittedly, the topic of fears and anxieties goes way beyond that. Like we definitely encounter fears and anxieties in our everyday life. But uh, usually this is what happens. Once we come to a ceremony, we definitely deal mostly with that. And uh, I would say like 80% of those who are coming to a ceremony in some sort would experience the initial intent boiling down to fearing something or to having some sort of anxiety about something. And uh, this is a really elusive beast, if you consider what it is. And in many respects, it uh, is a rather a range of experiences, not uh, just one particular fear or one particular anxiety. So it can range from stiffness, inability to express oneself because there is some anxiety that I will not be appreciated or I have some guilt or some shame related to that. It can be whatever memories that uh, come up throughout the process of thinking, okay, I'm anxious because I used to be anxious about something. It might be a combination of fears and anxiety. So I had a particular event in my past and uh, I still fear that this is going to happen again in future. It can be very mild. It can be as acute as a real panic attack going all the way down to the physiological perception of what a panic attack is, all the way down to asthmas uh, or pains related specifically to stomach pains. Once we are thinking about anxieties, uh, usually people end up having uh, gastritis or even ulcers uh, related to that. So pretty much Pretty much, if you take the whole range of experiences related to fears and and anxieties, it sort of shows up on so many different levels. So what we can encounter here is that it can be and usually is embodied. And uh, for in many respects, we see it uh, as a body response to a particular mental stimulus. It is uh, represented in emotional realm so that we've got some particular emotions. And that's what, what we usually call fear. So I fear something or I'm anxious about something. It's definitely uh, an emotional syndrome. And uh, there is quite usually a mental pattern related to that. It cycles and fears and anxieties usually tend to cycle. It bothers as a mental concept and uh, it happens on uh, these three levels simultaneously most probably most often more often than not before we jump into the uh, the whole topic and uh, think about uh, what it really means uh, to deal with fears and anxieties in ceremonial context we definitely have to consider that uh, we have to be careful with uh, triggers because uh, sometimes triggers are shocks so it's uh, something that was triggered by a particular shock uh, that happened some times ago and uh, sort of created the condition for our uh, system. And uh, in some cases, we do remember this shock. In some others, it's suppressed enough that we cannot remember what it is. And uh, if you take our worldview uh, and make it uh, wider than we usually do, then it can be a particular shock related to something that we cannot and perhaps even technically cannot remember easily coming from some other, uh, whatever you call it, some other transpersonal experiences. So 
a whole range of things, yeah? So let's try to be uh, careful here, understanding that uh, we have to follow a very trauma-informed approach. And uh, uh, once we consider, I have a fear, I have an anxiety, and I wish to deal with that in a ceremonial context, that we have to be uh, knowledgeable about that. We can actually encounter and uh, we can uh, have to process the remainder of a trauma that happened before. So we have to be ready for uh, for that. and. Actually, if you if you feel that we wish to work with that, it already means that uh, there is a capacity to deal with that. Okay, but we need to be uh, careful with who we come towards and uh, what we are dealing with, and uh, yeah, do we really trust the practitioner who's going to work with us in this regard, uh, so that we are safe enough. Again, safety is such a big word. There is no no safety whatsoever, and uh, there is always this uh, level of uncertainty we are dealing with. But anyways, better be prepared. So what is a fear in very simple terms? Uh, Thinking about fear, once we fear something, we usually uh, deal with uh, our consciousness being sort of not really in the in the very present moment. So we fear something that already happened, or we feel something. Uh, we fear something that's gonna happen, perhaps. So, from ceremonial perspective, or from shamanic perspective, but as well from psychological perspective, we are dealing with uh, some sort of detachment happening on uh, several levels. We can think about that as being detached from the persona that has experienced that particular trauma event and in traditional understanding there is a word for that called susta you know what susta means is uh, again a range of syndromes uh, but like susta can happen uh, if a baby was dropped it is said traditionally that a particular part of soul experience is sort of detached from the actual experience and we have to deal with that and a baby might not have resources to do it. But in more general sense, this susta condition means that there is certain splitting of experience and a concealing of part of experience through this traumatic event. So guidance within ceremonial context usually means reattaching and reintegrating this condition within the process of work. And uh, while we're thinking about this detachment, it usually involves uh, as well creation of particular memories. And memories is something that is embodied. So we never deal with memories that are not embodied. Say a particular fear might create a contraction around stomach. There are so many muscles around stomach and uh, there, are so, uh, there are so many layers of connective tissue. So the traumatic shock creates this contraction and because we do not have conscious, easy conscious way to reintegrate that and deal with our contraction, relaxing it, because it's really hard to understand how to relax your stomach muscles, then this memory might create a self-reinforcing pattern of contracting once the same stimulus comes into the system. So in that sense, memory is always embodied. So our physiology keeps traces of this shock. And then to be able to deal with the shock and to reprocess the shock, we're going to need to figure out somehow how to see beyond this particular contraction, observe that this particular issue that we are dealing with has relevance to the initial shock. And uh, that's part of the work we are dealing with. So the mental and emotional patterns follow basically the same uh, route. However, the sole reason that we are still dealing with this fear usually means that the access to the initial trauma or to the initial event is sort of concealed. That's why we are coming to a ceremony still dealing with the same fear. Yeah. 
Not much we can do through uh, through merely psychological means unless we go into this embodied perception, unless we are dealing with the body that uh, keeps track of what happened before. A ceremonial work, specifically medicinal work, usually opens up all levels of, of, our, of our existence here by offering us access simultaneously to all three levels of uh, body, energy, and mind. And uh, through careful guidance, we are able to reintegrate all of them. In a sense, fear has to do something with past. So we're going to come back to this later, but uh, you can observe that working with fear is working with past, but past doesn't exist anymore. So from the perspective of our actual experience, we are dealing only with the present moment through which we are looking into this past. And because of the illusionary nature of past, we are seeing just the mask of this fear. So that's one thing. And let's keep it there for a while. Thinking of anxieties, and uh, seemingly that's a different thing. Seemingly, what is an anxiety? We are worrying about something in uh, in the future. And there is a word for that in uh, Shipibo language as much as there is a word for fear. The, for fear, we would say jate, uh, and for the anxiety, we would say tsokas. So what is an anxiety? What is this tsokas? Well, that's something about the future. We are worrying that something going to happen or something else will not happen as we expect that to happen. So we've got a particular image of the future and we don't like this image of the future. We don't want this to come. Or we've got a particular other image of the future and we wish this uh, image to materialize. However, we worry that it won't happen like that. So are we dealing with something concrete here? That's a good question to ask ourselves. Again, we are still in the present moment, creating an image of what does not exist, of an illusion of something. And the way it's going to be connected to the actual future is completely unknown. We are still living in completely uncertainty whether this will materialize or not. So in a sense, we are dealing with a particular subtle agenda of the process, how we create this particular future. And uh, we seem to be not knowing what kind of agenda we are keeping. Otherwise, we would uh, not create this anxiety for, uh, whatsoever. We usually don't have even the slightest ability to put our consciousness into this particular stimulus reaction pattern so that we create the ability to relax at that very moment. So here is what ceremonial approach really does. On one hand, we are dealing with this reintegration process of past traumas of past events. In a sense, it's very similar to the way digestion works. So like uh, as much we are digesting food, allowing it to be processed through our body, there is as well this emotional and mental digestion of whatever has happened, which uh, has halted at some particular moment and not reintegrated further on. So the ceremony allows us to reinstall this digestion process and allow it to be processed fully. And uh, it's more than just a metaphor, by the way, because if you consider how much of what we are processing is uh, connected to our gut flora, to our actual digestion, to the way our body really works with nutrition, it's pretty much the same and medicine works on this level more often than you think.
The other consideration about ceremonial approach once dealing with fears and anxieties is that it goes into the process of contemplation by putting our consciousness into this pattern of stimulus reaction, sort of cutting through this chain, opening up the moment of reintegrating the stimulus and creating opportunity for us to grow this gap and allow our consciousness to be there, we are creating seeds for the future. So from this perspective, ceremonial work with fear and anxiety usually, if done properly, uh, allows us to create condition for the future integration of whatever comes next, because this consciousness integration creates a new capacity of our mind to see within this chain of stimulus and reactions. So the first thing is definitely to admit fears and anxieties, just to make sure that we are actually dealing with that and allowing ourselves to admit that, that this is the condition we are in and most obviously we do not have much control on it. And admitting the deficiency is quite important because it re-instructs our mind from safeguarding what we already have, safeguarding the container of our fears and anxieties into the learning process, uh, opening it up and uh, making ourselves more vulnerable in a sense, but saying, okay, we are in the safe spot, we can deal with this now. So the other thing is, and then here is what I am referring to uh, once we have discussed fears, as well as anxieties here, there is a mask of fear and anxiety. There is surfacial image of what we are dealing with. An example of my own experience. So I had once very particular dream work with some of my hidden fears and I've been uh, seeing a very vivid dream, a very lucid dream uh, in uh, suburbs of Moscow where most of my childhood was spent seeing several figures coming to the fence and uh, understanding that these are the spirits of the disease and they were very fearsome like very, very fearsome, and they were ugly. And that was the reason why they were fearsome. So like I saw very ugly figures coming to me. And at that moment, I vividly remember having a very particular choice of either blocking this and pushing them away or staying in the presence of these ugly figures. And it was a very blissful moment of allowing, the, allowing myself to stand in front of them doing nothing, not pushing them away, not inviting them to come, but just waiting there. And just by the virtue of standing and doing nothing and allowing myself the moment of observation, the faces of these spirits, as I saw them in my dream work, started to shift, started to change. And uh, in rapid sequence, it showed up being not as fearful as I thought they were before. So at some moment, they started being informative they started to be communicative. And uh, that was basically the work that happened at that very moment. That was, it was a very short work. And uh, after that, I felt a, an important release of some of my hidden fears related to this uh, realm of uh, dead spirits. But what it told me and then what, what it taught me was that once we allow ourselves to just observe the mask of fear, it opens up an information or communication channel so that we can actually look into that further. And once we are dealing with fears, usually we have this chain of fears. 
So we can go through this chain one by one saying, okay, I fear this and that. What if this happens, really? So, okay, this already happened. Say, imagine this already happened. Do I fear anything else? What is the bigger fear behind that? And behind that? And behind that? In psychology, as well as ceremonial work, we rapidly understand that uh, by following this chain of fears, which seems to be sort of counterintuitive at once, but by following this chain of fears, we end up facing the existential fears. Um, There are not many. There are not many for all of us. The existential fear of losing the body once we are dying, like that everything going to discontinue. And the existential fear of losing the mind to go crazy, to have issues with that. And we do not have issues issues with being crazy. Our our close ones have issues with us that we are going crazy, yes? So there are so many things related to that guilt and shame and uh, our reduced worldview. Existential fears usually deal with this very basic patterns of our thoughts that either come from early childhood, the way we were taught to be ashamed of something, or are coming to our worldview of us being just material bodies and nothing else. Again, the way we were taught that we are and uh, these preconditions are pretty much hardwired throughout our early education and upbringing. So by following this chain of fears, we quite often get to this particular set of patterns pre-recorded in our system. So what happens there is that admitting the observer to exist, allowing the observer to exist, as in my dream work, happened to be admitting the my own personality to be able to stand still and not being affected by whatever happens because there is nothing that can affect the observer in many respects. Observer is by definition the level of personality that does not actually change by whatever is being observed. A particular layer of existence that is always still and just reflecting what comes to the mind. This becomes a healing process in itself. And finally, what we encounter here is that there is a very particular condition of time that pops up. So if you consider fears or anxieties, they usually tend to be a particular type of fixation of mind, either within past or within future. Now, common sense tells us that there is no such thing as fixed past or fixed future. There are memories of past and there are expectations of future. Both of memories and expectations happen in present moment, otherwise we wouldn't be able to recognize them. And they're embodied in our uh, physical system so that they become a constant reminder of what's happening. So in a sense, re-educating ourselves to stay in the present moment, recognizing this present moment, rather than just saying, okay, time is now, but really recognizing that this is what I'm experiencing right now, becomes another healing tool for that. And the actual work starts to happen before we actually go into the ceremony. So the intention-based work before we jump into the ceremony is this seeding of observer capacity, seeding of consciousness capacity to cut through the chain of stimulus and reaction, and seeding of our capacity to see behind the mask and uh, sort of encounter our own brave part of personality that says, okay, whatever I'm going to see, I'm going to handle that because there is nothing that can harm me at that very moment. Obviously requiring trust in the process and requiring this particular sense of calmness that can be called upon, that can be asked to emerge, and that can be encountered 
So allowing ourselves to encounter this sense of calmness is what makes this work so powerful. So this happens even before we jump into the ceremony. And in a sense, ceremony starts from that very moment. The actual work with medicine is the disentanglement process uh, of the pattern, the patterning of uh, what has caused the fear or anxiety. It can be purely ceremonial process, but as well, it can be a longer medicinal process once we are dealing with other plants or other practices that allow us to reintegrate this knowledge again and again and again, observing the chains of patterns to reemerge and allowing ourselves to put our consciousness back into the same process. So in very, very short, this is a basic tool set I wanted to explore a little bit, and I'm very happy to discuss it with you. So what do you think? Do you have any experiences related to that? What does make sense for you? Have you dealt with that in your ceremonial processes? And like, just share your opinions. Let's talk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like everyone's frozen with fear. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question maybe to start with. Yeah, go on. Uh, does it make a difference to know what brought fear or anxiety uh, or not? Like what was uh, the source? Because sometimes uh, um, I might have a feeling of like anxiety or like a fear, but uh, it's very unclear what's, uh, what's the source and what brought it in. And uh, it makes it, uh, at least for myself, uh, Kind of hard to work with it because I, I don't know what is what is this exactly. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it definitely makes a difference. And uh, usually, once we have, uh, from my perspective, uh, once we have uh, a good understanding of what was the initial traumatic event, we've got a way more capacity to deal with that because then we've got sort of already the process started of opening up the memory. And it means that our consciousness is already there to deal with uh, the initial condition. However, usually we do start with flurry, like a range of emotions and the range of fears without even knowing what has caused that. And there are some events, uh, traumatic events that are quite known to us. They happened not a long time ago. There are some others that are pretty much concealed. They were too strong, like, say, uh, experiences of sexual abuse or violence, and uh, our psyche does its best to conceal it, and the memory can be uh, quite concealed, which, again, is important to understand once we are dealing with that from a practitioner's perspective, because we need to understand that we might be facing a particular trauma that's going to be encountered, and we might need to work with a very dramatic outburst of emotions related to that, so that's quite important. In some cases, uh, we will not find traces of that within our own lifetime. Um, the reason might be that, uh, say, a particular experience might have been caused by uh, what has happened very early before our memories were formed properly throughout the process of uh, birth, for example. And again, depending on your worldview, we might admit that there are some experiences that did not happen in, within the lifetime whatsoever. So if you come to the realization of the origin of fear, then good for you. However, the existential fears, by definition, are coming from something deeper, you know, from the deeper understanding of the reality of dying 
and being born and then dying at some point of time. And there is a very powerful part of ourself that does not want to die. And that's quite obvious. I mean, that's the whole purpose of self as a construct to protect us from having the discontinuity in our experiences. Technically, we are dying every single moment and we are born again every single moment. If you try not to breathe for 15 minutes, you're, you're gone, you know? So we are that far from uh, being dead. But we do not think about that because there is this protective self. And uh, this protective self definitely makes its best not to be observed because uh, it's going to create a much bigger challenge for us how to deal with that. And uh, usually fears boil down to that. Thank you. I have a question. Yay. Yeah. Hi. Um, so one question is obviously the fear of not being able to come back while you are in a deep experience in the ceremony. It's uh, definitely something that arises with me multiple times. And um, another question that I have is, oh, well, maybe relates to it is that, yeah, it's like, it seemed like there's a certain kind of, uh, it's almost like Ariadne thread that I leave in the ceremony that kind of ties me back to consensus reality, as you call it, you know, so is it useful or not? And like what, what just like in general, what's your insights about that? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, starting with the first one. Well, that's interesting, really. If you are really honest with yourself, then uh, if I am very honest with myself and thinking about what happens with me once I'm diving into the ceremonial process and uh, who is coming back, I most certainly recognize that the person that is coming back is not the same person as uh, jumped into the process. So there is no think of there is no such thing as uh, returning home in the same condition as uh, I jumped into that. And that's like that's like quite obvious from intellectual perspective, but uh, it's quite unobvious from existential perception, so to say. So in many respects, uh, the idea of going into the journey and returning back is fearful just because uh, like in the same respect as uh, any rite of passage is producing fear. It's very logical to fear the rite of passage. It's very logical because one definitely knows that the process of maturing, aka is rite of passage, is about not coming back. Is definitely about not coming back. Is about that something else going to come back, someone else going to come back. And that's why the experience of dying within the ceremony is very important. Medicine does its best to make it very specific, very concrete experience of this is what's going to die. And this is you. You're going to die for sure, like 100%. And uh, many of us have experienced that. Uh, resisting this, resisting this being swallowed by the giant anaconda and not willing this, it's really hard to be voluntarily uh, swallowed by the anaconda because then what's going to be then? Like, I'm going to be dead. And myself tells me, well, this is the only thing I don't want to I don't want to do. But why we are going through this right is another thing. It means that there is something else beyond this protective self that uh, pushes us towards that. There is some evolutionary force. There is some life force. And, uh, you know, like the actual ceremonial processes can be 
rendered as uh, reconnecting to this life force. But on practical terms, it means that the dying parts needs to die so that we can experience the undying part, the, the living part that always goes through that, like uh, which is definitely transpersonal, the way beyond the personality. Otherwise, it would be part of this protective self. So, and actually the frozen state, actually, Natasha just mentioned uh, we are frozen by fear. This is an interesting thing. Frozen means uh, not alive, isn't it? So, it, uh, because life is fluid. So we are thawing this frozen part in a sense. And uh, by thawing the frozen part, the icicle is dying. The ice is dying. There is no ice anymore. There is river. And the uh, actual recognition of this is understanding that river stays the river, whether it's frozen or whether it's evaporated or whether it's fluid. It's just all different states of existence, but existence keeps, uh, keeps being there. However, that's not the existence of ourself as we used to know it. Yeah, no, everything is saying I, I did experience. And not once. Yeah, I guess this this kind of like um, there's an interest in uh, you know after this process of uh, being swallowed by anaconda, being reborn, and obviously you know letting go of certain uh, parts of identification and being able to kind of like find the center of um, find a center of kind of a um, center of my own being not being part of, a, kind of what it used to be and something way deeper and something that survives that, that, that swallowing by anaconda. But I guess sometimes it kind of like it produces this kind of a slight um, detachment from, from, from everything around. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, you like, it's in a way you're kind of like, Oh, like at some point I realized that I'm not taking what's going on seriously. It's like, if I'm hit by a car tomorrow, it's okay. It might be a positive thing. <laughs> Andrei, yeah. can you connect to excitement when you feel it? What's that? Can you connect to excitement? On the other side of the fear, there is excitement. The frozen state is gone. Right. Once you start breathing into that fear, there is excitement. Can you connect to that? Yeah, of course. And then what happens? As I connect to that excitement, um, yeah, I feel alive. I feel uh, linked to everything around me. So that's the meaning of being swallowed by anaconda. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, well, sorry, I jumped in. Sorry, that, that that that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, connecting to what you were saying, Natasha. It's yeah, alchemically we are dealing with uh, this mind and matter game. You know, uh, like the more the fiery nature of mind goes into the uh, coldness of matter, you know, and uh, connects to that, and then uh, thaws the uh, this frozen state in a very symbolical way. You know, but uh, definitely the this brave component of ourselves is like in the, in that particular episode of dream work. The brave component of myself was to say, "Okay, I'm gonna stand my ground." Not really 
not not in the protective mode, not running away, but stand my ground and uh, observe what's happening. In Buddhism, it's said, like, smile in front of your fear. Yeah, smile in front of, you know, like the, there is this beautiful depiction of skulls, smiling skulls in Tibetan Buddhism. That's exactly the uh, notion of smiling in front of something, which means that once I'm smiling, it means that I'm not pushing away. I'm saying, okay, I'm here. And again, this, again, it, it shows this exciting thing because, uh, and then it might have a particular hint towards uh, the anger reprocessing as well. Because uh, then uh, anger is not a direct opposition of fear, but rather another representation of the same energy that is uh, taking particular forms, different forms. And then uh, the braveness of facing the anaconda at that very moment when you're about to be swallowed is by saying, fuck it all, I go into that. Really, I mean, technically it's this kind of reverence and awe and devotion that opens up through this process by saying, okay, my existence is just partial remembrance of tiny shadow of uh, the larger whole. I allow this to be shown. And uh, that's pretty much the move you're making towards that. It's quite important to make this move. Because there, there is definitely a, a real fear of uh, dying. So at that very moment, if it is serious, then serious in the sense that, okay, this is the end of it. So what are you going to do then? Mm. The, yeah. way, the, the way I was able to cross it was just by kind of uh, admitting that everything in my life lead me to that moment. And if I'm dying now, so be it. Yes, perfect. That's a very good way to render that. Everything in your life leads to this moment. And uh, that's like, you know, recognition of presence. If you waited for the sign, this is it, you know? This, this, this kind of thing. This is like the process of retraction of the focus from the past, everything in my life, into the present leads to this moment. Technically, it's like retraction of, of attention. So like the attention is shifting into this very moment. And it, it, that's what you render in words, like everything in my life leads me to this. Yes, this is exactly this time-related work. And uh, it creates dramatic imagery. This time-related work creates dramatic imagery. But the thing is that life is just in this very present moment. And there is no such thing as life without this present moment. Like everything else is just like a fixed projection for the, for the past or for the future. So the connecting to life is mean, means technically connecting to presence. So thank you for the question or thank you. remark. Mm. Thank you. Good. Okay. Yeah. So that was the topic for today. And uh, we might be exploring it further. Leave your comments in uh, our chat. And uh, if you think the topic needs to be explored further, put some questions and we might have an, uh, the next series related to continuation of uh, the same fear and anxiety and past and future and like time related work, dream related work as well. So if you are exploring the ceremonial work and how to prepare and how to integrate, so basically here we are.